Warning, the following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody, it is issue 27 of DC Primetime here on the Next Level Podcast Network. And we're going to have some fun this week. I know we've been trying to figure out some stuff to do over the course of the summer before these shows start back up. But uh, we're going to have a little fun this week. But before we do that, of course, introductions are needed from the showcast on the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from the Caffeine Crew, I am Rob Martin. And welcoming back a previous a uh, previous guest of DC Primetime, a number of times he's been on with us. Uh, we welcome back TJ. Hey, how's it going? It's we're we're doing pretty well. I'm glad we're having you on for this one because this is a uh, this is an interesting take, and I think this was actually your idea, was it not, TJ? Yeah, I I um I suggested the one show, and then Rob. Uh, I guess expand you and Rob expanded that to include the other two. I don't want to give anything away quite yet. Oh uh, yeah, like well yeah, you brought it up to me, and then I was just like, all right, if we're doing this, we're going full uh, full tilt here. And uh, <laughs> I I messaged Ben, and he's just like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and I I messaged like TJ just a couple days ago and told him he's like, you've got to be kidding me. So, uh, but to reveal what we are doing, we're going to call this episode the uh, the Silver Age of DC television or silver age spectacular as Rob had called it uh, as he dubbed it before we started recording. And that's because this issue of DC primetime, we're going back to some of the original uh, or second wave rather of the DC comic book television shows or comic book adaptations of television shows. This week we are going to review and break down the pilot episodes to the 1980s flash with, um, John Wesley Shipp, uh, Birds of Prey, which was a – was it CW at the time? Uh, yes. CW or WB, whatever the, the network was branded at the time. Okay, yeah. I know it's on CWC, but I think it was WB at the time because it was before Smallville, and I, and Smallville was, I think, WB. Um, I could be wrong thought, about that. I thought Birds of Prey came on after Smallville. Oh, nobody questioned my order when I said it. Uh, well, we could look oh, well. this up, but we could just say hell with it and just keep on, dry, you know, keep on moving forward. Because yeah, I also, I think, I think the John Wesley ship was like 1990 on the dot. Oh, was it? So, oh, I'm yeah. way so, off on my dates then. So, uh, Birds of Prey was 2002. Uh, so that was definitely after Smallville. That was during Smallville. Yeah, I think they tried to build it off the success of Smallville. And that sounds about right. Um, but the other one that we're going to rate and review this week is Smallville, Episode 1. So we're doing the pilot episodes of these three series, uh, again, starting with The Flash from 1990. Uh, and then we'll do Smallville, since that's the since that's the correct order, and Birds of Prey. Uh, all Season 1, Episode 1 episodes, which uh, this should be fun. Because we've all rewatched these episodes over the course of this week. And... 
for some of us, that is sometime we will never get back. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I think I stayed up till close to four in the morning just to finish Flash, which was 90 minutes. 90 so. minute pilot. So um, before we do that, do we want to talk that trailer or do we want to save that for news? Oh, we'll just toss that in the news because we did kind of break it down, the original one, last week. And then there's not a lot more to go on except some of the villain stuff. And that was a lot of stuff we kind of expected. Yeah, that's true. Um, obviously, this guy, what we're discussing is uh, the return of the Keep Crusaders, uh, the second trailer. So we'll bring that up a little bit in news as far as a quick breakdown of that. But so, uh, Yeah, that works. Uh, I know you had the idea as well. Do we want to do – do we want to – change segment order around a little bit i know there was a particular segment you wanted to kind of switch around a little bit or do we want to wait until next week we can wait until next week okay that works uh so let's begin then and let us jump back to the beginning we're calling this again silver age because these aren't obviously the first of the of the dc shows uh the very first i think we'd go back to george reeves superman yeah followed Uh, up by the batman serial uh like the 1940s serials um, yeah, there's there's a lot out there. Then like there's still like Lois and Clark adventures and God, there's just a lot of stuff that we can discuss. I think Lois and Clark would probably fit into Silver Age though. Uh, I don't know if that would be Golden Age because I think that was '90s as well. It was '90s. Or, uh, it was either late '80s, early '90s. That was the good old Dean Kane. Dean Kane, Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher. Yeah, I used to so. watch that show religiously. I did too. I love that show. I grew no. up on Superman, so I mean, of course, I watched that show. So I mean, uh, it, there's well, a number. I mean, like you said, Superboy is one that could have been put into Silver Age as well. Uh, so we might have to do a Silver Age part two at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. Lois and Clark premiered in 1993. So yeah. after the Flash. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it was definitely more successful than the Flash. Well, so, it got more than one season. So <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, but you know what? We're on that topic. Let's start with that one. Let's start with the 1990s, 1990 version of The Flash, which, of course, we know uh, John Wesley Ship was indeed The Flash, Barry Allen in episode. Uh, we've seen John Wesley Ship obviously, now playing Henry Allen in uh, the current iteration of The Flash, and we hope to see him return in some way or another, uh, since we, know, we now found out he is also Jay Garrick in um, this Flash as well. Uh, we, we don't know what Flashpoint is going to bring, so we could see Jay Garrick even more this season. And I really hope we do, because I love John Wesley Ship. Um, well, I think, I think he was in a trailer somewhere for uh, the new I, season. Yeah, I, I, I know we're. I have a good feeling we will be seeing him. Um, but I, I mean, kind of going back to this '90s one, like I said, there's been a lot of nods in the current Flash, like um, Mercury Labs, Doctor Tina McGee. You know, which was kind of amusing because, of course, that is, you know, his kind of cohort in crime in the pilot here. So, yes. Uh, and yeah, and played by the same actress as well. Yeah. Which is, yeah. So a really nice nod. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of characters, obviously, that we're very familiar with when we uh, now that we watch the current iteration. There's some very much characters. Uh, there's a, quite a few characters that we're very familiar with. Uh, namely, Iris is indeed in the original 1990s Flash. Um, and starting with her character, to be completely honest with you, maybe it's because I'm spoiled now by the Iris that we have. I couldn't stand this Iris. <laughs> well, I, actually, well, before we get any further, why don't we do our, our standard... Uh, oh, rating? Rating system, then we'll, bra- uh, then we'll go through all of our ratings, then we'll break it down like we normally do in a normal season. Okay. So. 
Um, so we'll do our ratings across the three and then uh, break it down. Okay, that works for me. Uh, so, so I, I, crap, I can't remember. Is this Secret Origins or Secret Origins? Oh yeah, um, <laughs> it's uh, been a while since we've had normal format. Man. I know. Uh, no, it's it's. I think it's just DC Origins. Or is it uh. Secret Origins? I don't know. Let's just do a rating. That's not... We don't okay. have to name it. <laughs> we'll go back to old shows and we'll figure it out once the normal shows start again because <laughs> yeah. I don't remember how we I, did it. I know. I don't either. Um, ah, so, the bullet point. That's uh, it. Bullet point, Secret Origins, and then... Secret Origins is the breakdown yeah. of the episode. Yes. It's yes. been a while since we, we've done this we, format. We remember how to do our own show, don't we? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, the bullet points for this for these episodes, we will give them each a rating and then we'll go through and we'll break them down. Uh, the rating system, of course, is sidekick, hero, or legend. Uh, and we'll start off first with the 1990 Flash with John Wesley Ship, And we'll start with our guest this week, TJ. What rating would you give this show? This pilot. Uh, I'd probably give it sidekick. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Rob, how about you? Sidekick. Um, I'm going to go hero. Okay. Um. But again, we'll get into that a, a little bit when we start to break it down. Uh, moving on next to Smallville, uh, season one, episode one. Again, we're judging just the pilots, not the actual show. Um, cause some of these series we've, we've actually watched. I've, I've watched all of Smallville. I know some of you have watched all of Birds of Prey. And so just the pilots. Uh, Rob, we'll start with you, sidekick, hero, or legend. Uh, I'll go hero. All right, TJ. I'll actually go hero as well. And that is the same with me. I'm giving that one a hero as well. And lastly, we have Birds of Prey, Season 1, Episode 1. I will start this one, since you guys got to start with this one. This is a flat-out sidekick. Uh, but we'll go with uh, TJ. Uh, I'm going to surprise you guys. I'm going to say hero. And Rob. I actually went hero on this as well. Uh, all right. So now on to the breakdowns as to why we gave these what we did. Um, again, going back to 90s Flash. Uh, all right. Who's going to start? Let's just start rambling on. About Dear this. God, that is 90 minutes I'm never getting back in <laughs> my life. Oh, my I God. I would like to point out how influenced this was by the Tim Burton Batman. Yes. Yeah. And you can hear it like Danny, Danny Elfman-esque score constantly in the background. I'm like, this just feels like they lifted the soundtrack out of Batman, the 1989 film. Yes. And it looked like they used the same sets. That was like central Gotham City. Yeah, it really was. It it, it just looked odd. It was so, it, it looked like it was being dark and gritty, but like it was so just ham-fisted and Oh dear God! It was rough. It Look, was I, it was rough. I thought this was a lot of fun. I'm not gonna lie. I thought it was a lot of fun. Maybe it's just my love for John Wesley Ship and the character of the Flash itself. I think the costume, when you compare it to what we have now, is extremely cheese. But when you compare it, when you think about what this show was at the time, I would have, as a kid, I don't care how bad this was, I would have been glued to my television set if I was watching this. I was glued to my television set. I watched this. And I look back today, and I go, oh, my God, I was a moron. I, John Shipp was great. Okay, like, um, uh, what's the act? Tina, the woman that played Tina McGee was really um, good. Amanda Pace. Amanda Pace. Um, but why was she the only one working at Star Labs? I mean, obviously, you know, in reality, it's a budgeting thing, 
But Star Lab seems to take a hit in every DC series. You know, the new ones only got like two people who still work there. Well, I mean, but the difference between that is, I mean, I can understand the present day with only like three or four people working there because it had an industrial accident. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to be working there anymore. The Star Labs in the 80s, you had one person working there and it was the still working lab. Yeah. So that I, I can understand that argument. Um, <laughs> it, making compare. And again, I, I'm going to probably make a lot of comparisons to the new one, which they're night and day. Um, yeah. But did anybody else get a a. Um, a Caitlin vibe out of Christina McGee. I, I kind of did a little bit. I mean, you could kind of see that might be, you know, Caitlin Snow, uh, you know, is going back to very much being what, you know, Dr. McGee was, which makes sense because I think, like I said, they, they kind of looked at that and said this will function, but instead of making it a romantic interest, that it's more this uh, very over-the-top, like, scientific minds. I mean, there was a lot of parody, I think, we saw in this episode, too, from the Flash pilot, like, the current Flash pilot, um, which I think was cool. But I think it was just, um, really, the biggest issue with this was pacing, man. Like, for a show called The Flash, where you should be moving from point to point to point in this show, it was just, uh, it, it was a chore to, to get through 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, I yeah, will say... Go ahead. It, but was that the, I mean, it, you can't blame it all on the pacing. Some of it was just bad acting. That too. <laughs> well, it, it's it's bad acting because that's just that's how things were back in the nineties. There weren't a lot of good acting was in movies. They weren't in television. Um, so you kind of expect that to be that way. Uh, like I said, as 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 far as bad acting goes, I couldn't stand Iris. Like that yeah, character. Yeah, that was. Uh... And and thankfully she was only in the pilot of that. Yeah, scene, I was just going to say season. that was the only episode she was ever in. Yeah, it was kind of like they added her as a nod to the original character, and then they wrote her off. She went to Paris because mm-hmm. uh, I won't lie. I watched two more episodes of the show after the after the pilot, uh, and I'm going to continue. I'm going to watch the the whole series because it's only one season. Um, a lot of the characters that we know and love now, I really couldn't stand. I couldn't stand Iris. Um, I I couldn't stand Emmett Walsh is a fantastic actor. He's a classic character actor. Couldn't stand him as Henry Allen. Like it's night and day what we have now. Yeah. Um. Obviously, well, we um we find out that Jay, that Barry had a brother Jay who was killed in the which pilot, was obviously think, just so. a nod, you know, to, it's, to it's, it was, Garrick. And yeah, and it was something to drive the story further. You know, kill him off in the episode, and that's where you go. Um, but yeah, I, I still think it was a lot of fun. I like how the new current iteration of the Flash paid a lot of nods, as you mentioned. Um, you know, Christina McGee is a character who we've seen return, and Amanda Pace plays that part as well. I think the initial accident of that gave Barry his abilities. I think that was a nice pretty close to recreation in this new series that we have now uh you know with the chemicals and in the lab and falling backwards into the shelving i mean i don't really know of any other ways you could do it but it's it's very similar to the two shows that's the one constant i think that was really well done yeah um i mean i gotta say as well too like we did see you know one other character too we saw uh linda park is one of the reporters which was a very old linda park 
which was, I think, a little odd. Um, but, I mean, I think it was just in general, they did a lot of great classic moments. But I think what really just is difficult now is everything in that show just felt so beyond dated. I mean, again, we're talking about something that's like 25 years ago at this point. And you just don't know how something like this is going to hold up. I mean, oddly enough, some of the effects stuff didn't look terrible considering how old this is, especially for TV. Um, and, you know, there was some very laughable over-the-top moments that just felt weird. I mean, it felt like the bad guys were hanging out in, like, what was left of the the uh, refuge from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from that time frame. I, I said the same thing. <laughs> I was watching and I went, hey, we've gotten to the foot hideout. This is great. Yeah, it's the foot hideout. Potentially underneath that is the basement where the Lost Boys are hanging out. You know, it was just everything about it screamed that era. Um, you know, just the way the bikers looked. Uh, you know, the style was painful to watch quite a few times. Um, just what people were wearing back then. And sad because a lot of us wore that too. But, whew, man, like I said, this was, a, this was an interesting trip, though. This was because uh, I've never seen this show before. This is my first viewing of this ever. I mean, Same I knew with me. it, I, I knew it, I knew of its existence uh, out there, but uh, and John Wesley Ship is fun to see, and then you'll be able to go and look at the new show and like, wow, he's uh, he's stepped it up a lot as an actor. Yes, in, oh, in absolutely. That, in that time frame, um, do, do we think John Wesley Ship was a little old to play this part when it first came out? I think so. I, I think a lot of. A lot of this story, a lot of the actors felt like they were older than they should have should have been for the story. See, for me, they actually all felt about the right age because by the time this came out, I mean, Barry wasn't even the Flash in comics anymore. And when he did show up, he was in his late 30s. That's true. Uh, I mean, like um, I said, he became a family man and all that stuff, so... Yeah, exactly. So this felt to me like he was put, he, you know, Barry was in his 30s, though I, and a couple of things I liked about, about the show was they still showed how intelligent Barry was. You know, it was a throwaway thing, but he named all the chemicals on the top shelf. Right. You know, off the top of his head. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's, if you could lead that to the intelligence of Barry, though, because any well, I mean, that's... any analyst that's like that is going to know his stock of chemicals. Um, but I mean, because a scene, there's a scene further later on where he's with uh, Christina McGee at that banquet or whatever it is, and they come up. Oh no, I'm sorry, that was the next episode. Actually, that was, uh, that wasn't in the pilot. Um, there's a further episode where he is at a banquet with Christina McGee, and he comes face to face with another scientist. And Christina McGee and the scientist are talking, and Barry is completely out of the loop. He knows nothing about uh. what they're talking about. Um, so they very much so in this in this iteration did not make Barry as intelligent as he should have been. Oh, okay. I'd, I'd forgotten about that. It's been so long. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, I mean, any analyst who works with chemicals is going to know his stock of chemicals and what they do. So that was more familiar to him. That's why he could do that. But outside of that lab, he really was not that intelligent. It, it was no more intelligent than anybody else. Yeah. He um, was huge, though. Oh, yeah, he was he jacked. He was jacked. I was impressed. <laughs> well, he's still a big guy. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I mean, like, that, he, I mean, it hasn't changed much about him. Yeah, but like in this, they showed him several times with yeah, you know, in like a tank, in like a tank top, and it was like, wow, they don't really show Henry Allen in the new in the new stuff, you know, 
hanging around in a tank top just flexing. Yeah. True. Very, very true. Um, so, I mean, and again, this goes back to something that we've talked about, too, is that DC is very loyal to the people that are involved with their properties and such. Uh, you know, using Jay, uh, John Wesley Ship <clears throat> to come back and play Henry Allen in the current iteration of The Flash is just a nice, again, along with uh, Christina Pace playing, or um, Amanda Pace playing Christina McGee. Great nods to DC being able to bring back these actors. Um, but I think that's a nice point to move on, unless anybody else has anything left um, to add. I- the last thing I can say is, as much as this was painful to get through, I kind of feel like punishing myself, myself and watching, you know, the James Jesse episodes with the, tri- you know, the trickster stuff with Mark Hamill. And uh, I know Captain Cold's in this, and I, I really kind of am curious on what those characters were like in this show. Well, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm re-watching the first season. I'm going through I'm, it. Yeah, like I said, I know I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I will definitely maybe check out an episode or two just out of twisted curiosity yeah um but again i was using that point to to move further into the next show that <clears throat> excuse me we are going to break down and discuss being smallville season one episode one uh the show that debuted in 2001 and ran for 10 seasons by the way so the show was very successful uh but in this pilot obviously another nod to dc uh we have seen um why can't I think of her name? Uh, Annette O'Toole, uh, the original Supergirl, come back and play uh, Martha Kent, uh, who was um, Su- uh, Clark's mother, uh, Clark's, Clark's adopted mother. John Schneider played Jonathan Kent, who I love, by the way. Uh, he and Tom he Welling, was a shining point on that show. Very much so. Um, and Tom Welling, who plays Clark Kent. I'm not going to say AKA Superman because that does not happen. It happens one time in the entire series run, and it is at the very end of the show in the series finale. So let's break this down a little bit. What do we all gave this one a hero? I was an avid watcher of Smallville. I never missed an episode through all 10 seasons of the show. I've actually gone back and rewatched all of those episodes again at one point in time. Um, let's break this down a little bit. What are some things we can say about Smallville? Well, I mean, right off the bat, I, I got to say, this very much had the the dialogue kind of talk is like very uh, early Buffy. Um, you know, it kind of reminded me of that as far as just, you know, the basic premise. Obviously, it's a very much a villain of the week show where we've seen this kind of function like, for a little while now in as far as network television when Smallville started. For me, though, this is the first time I've actually really, really watched Smallville. I've, ever, I've only ever seen three episodes of the entire show. Um so this was kind of interesting to go back to the beginning. And right off the bat, i got to say, when you look at Tom Willing, I'm like, this is very much, he's got the look of Superman yeah. so well. And the funny thing is, I, I didn't even realize when he was actually playing this character in the pilot, he was older than Stephen Amell already when uh, Amell started Arrow. So. But he had a, he had a <laughs> younger look to him, though. So I mean, it, He did. He very much did. Him. Yeah. But uh, like I said, i got to say, it was, it was a lot of, it was just a lot of fun. Um. I think I will go back and actually start watching a good chunk of this. I don't know how much, but I think I would. I mean, there was definitely some really, you know, eye-rolly, cringe, uh, cringe-worthy dialogue quite a few times in the show. But, uh, but that- uh, like I said, you know, I kind of I put it this way is I think uh, the next show that we're going to talk about, I feel that has a little bit more proto-Buffy. This, some of the dialogue reminded me a little bit more of something like Charmed. Uh, in the start of this, it's not. It wasn't quite that Whedon-esque style dialogue and banter. It was just kind of like a 
couple tiers under it, and me and my wife, when we watched this, we were like, this is kind of like Charmed as a superhero show. And we were like, yeah, that kind of hits it right on the point. But it was still fun. It was still a lot of fun. Well, this was kind of like that. This was one of those shows, obviously, that had kind of like that CW feel to it. And like you said, Char- uh, Charmed is a good example and, and, and such of that. Dawson's Creek was another example of this. It's that storyline-driven show with the poppy soundtrack behind it, you know, of uh, – I can't even name any of the artists now. Uh, but I can tell you, Free Will, I own both soundtracks to Smallville because of that music. Um, you know, where it had that poppy teenage angst – high schoolish kind of feel to it. And but rightfully so. I mean, this is a show that took place in high school. They're very young. And what really got me with Smallville, like I was again, I grew up on Superman, so I knew going into this because the writers had said it from the start, this is not going to be your typical Superman story. This is not going to follow storyline. Uh, or it's not going to follow mythos. And you can't with a show like this. I mean, in the very first pilot, you I mean, in the pilot itself, you find out that Lex Luthor was in Smallville and Clark and Lex were friends like that. That wasn't in the comic books, at least not as far as I know, that wasn't in the comic books. So Uh, so it was kind of in Silver Age, but they by the time Smallville came out, they had reconned it out of existence. But were they friends in high school? Um, Like between the ages of 12 and 13. So it depends on what you define as high school. That's probably more middle school, but okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and, and we got a lot out of this. We obviously got a quick origin of Superman with this, with the shuttle laughing, shuttle crashing in Smallville. We've met um, uh, Martha and Jonathan Kent. We got the introduction introduction to Kryptonite and in already in this episode. So we are already being introduced to Clark's weaknesses. We don't know what it is yet, but we know that it exists. Uh, we've got the introduction to Lex Luthor, so the main villain and protagonist of, of the Superman mythos has already been introduced. Uh, and we've already got a villain of the week to kind of introduce Clark's abilities in this show. Uh, anybody who went into this expecting Superman from the start would have been very disappointed. Because even at this point, Clark doesn't know his abilities, and he hasn't even developed them all yet at this point. So I went into this knowing when I first started watching this... I was going to be in this for the long haul because I wanted to see this develop as everybody else wanted to see it develop. I mean, and and Rob, like you said, I watched this religiously. I watched it every week. It was a show that ran for 10 years. So obviously in a show that runs that long, you're going to have weak seasons and people give up on weak seasons. They stop watching. Uh, And I can tell you season seven, it might've been season six even of the show was extremely weak. I didn't give up on it, though, and I'm so glad I didn't because it came back strong. So, But I'm getting ahead of myself. That we're, I'm avoiding talking about just the pilot. What are some other notes from this pilot? Well, one thing I got to say, and I was kind of shocked to even think this out you know, a little bit, was uh, for as old as the show may be, I think there's moments in this, even in effects-wise, that look better than Supergirl does today, um, which was kind of weird to think but like i looked at it i'm like yeah okay it looks a little cheesy here and there but something about some of the shots actually do look better than supergirl uh it's got an amazing production value behind it they they really felt like they spared no expense on the pilot um yeah i don't know how well that continues on to later things but this has such a great look to it it has a very cinematic quality to it and i think they really get that across beautifully 
Um, you know, I love the little uh, like you know nods as well. Like looking at Tom Welling, he's always got red and blue mm-hmm. on clothing wise, which I think is a nice little touch. Um, the actor that plays Lex, uh, Michael Rosenbaum, yes, I think Michael Rosenbaum, yeah, fantastic. Um, he is such a great Lex Luthor, and I've loved him ever since I saw him in like Dazed and Confused and Pitch Black. Um, and he's such a interesting, unique actor. And when you see him as Lex, like it is such a pitch perfect version of that character, and they do it wonderfully. Um, I love the way that they even handle little things like kryptonite. I love the idea of the hazing ritual that they do, where somebody gets tied up on a, a scarecrow post, and you know, at the end of the episode, that's you know, Clark gets raised uh, raised up on that, and they have the S on his chest, and it was just all these little iconic things. It was just super cool. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was just a fun show. It was a really fun show. And I think one of the main differences too, at least far as uh, as kryptonite goes, or the meteorite rock goes, uh, in Smallville, is one thing you find as you keep continue to watch is where like uh, Man of Steel or Batman vs Superman, where kryptonite is extremely hard to find uh, in Smallville, and it's plentiful. <laughs> it's everywhere. Um, I mean, they call Smallville the meteorite capital of the country. Um, you know, to the point where Alana Lang is wearing it around her neck. It's literally everywhere in Smallville, <laughs> and it's a big, it's a big plot in throughout this. I mean, they end up calling these people meteor freaks, uh, you know, throughout the course of the show, and it's because the the show uses that kryptonite as the reason why a lot of people are the way they are. You know, these villains of the week are the way they are. I, uh, I will say the show also gave us one of my favorite characters in Chloe Sullivan. Uh, played by uh, Allison Mack. Yes. Um, and she was introduced as the replacement for Lois Lane. Until and they brought in Lois Lane. Until they brought in Lois Lane, which was just... <laughs> but, man, one, she was fantastic. Two, she was cute as hell. And, honestly, there were points in the series, because I watched a majority of it, um, there were points in the series where I couldn't understand why Clark was going after Lana and not Chloe. It made no sense to me. <laughs> well, I mean, that's life, though. I mean, that happens. Well, yeah, I know. You know, because Lana but was given who... the cheerleader and everything. So, of course, that's who you go after if you're that kind of person. I mean, when you're younger, right, but you don't given who he wa- But given who he winds up with, you know, <laughs> Chloe is much more his type than Lana ever was. Yes, but again, it's teenage angst. It's part of the story. I uh, I will also be honest. I did not care for the actress who played Lana Lang, and that might, yeah, and that might be a large amount of my like. I just thought she was bad. Um, I I you know what? I don't think there was a bad casting, um, at least in the main casting of the show i mean we had obviously we had tom welling you know rob who you had mentioned had the look of clark kent um you know allison mack was great as chloe sullivan Kristen kruick i i liked her as lana um i i michael rosenbaum of course was great as lex i adored annette o'toole and john schneider as oh, man. jonathan Kent. i loved those two throughout yeah the- I, they really stood out i mean they didn't have a lot to do in this pilot but uh I mean, we saw them a lot in the beginning and a couple of other points midway through, but they were actually fairly captivating to watch. Like yes. they were, they they had such a great, you know, like rapport with each other. 
you really believe them. The rapport they have with Clark was phenomenal too. I mean, I, I just loved that moment where Jonathan and Clark are sitting, uh, you know, in Clark's room. It's kind of like, Hey, you know, we got to finally have this talk here. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but there's so many points where they could have stated a bad line. Like you're from space. You know, he just did all that stuff. A lot of times with us gestures and a look without saying anything. So that cheesy dialogue line you expected to come never came. You guess you heard Clark's reaction, but it was a reaction you believed. It worked so well. Like you just wanted you. You were expecting all these craptastic lines that are very cliche, and they never came. And it's um, funny you bring that up too, because that's probably one of my favorite um, leads of dialogue in the in the pilot. Is you know when Clark says to Jonathan, you know, ne- the very funny dad. Next thing you know, you're going to tell you're going to say my spaceship's in the attic, and he looks at him. He's just like, actually, it's in the storm cellar. Yeah, and then he goes to show him the ship, and it's it's you're right. It's a great interaction between those two, and you grow to love not only those two characters, Martha and Jonathan, with those two actresses, but just the dynamic not only between the two of them, but with Clark at the same time. And they both, uh, throughout the run of the show, actually become very integral to the storyline. What I love is, and this is sort of going later into the series, but when Clark starts developing his other powers. The conversations he has to have, especially with Jonathan, are fantastic. Like, like one of my favorites is when he starts developing heat vision. And Jonathan's got to talk him through the emotions of heat vision. It's almost like he's talking him through puberty. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's just so, he does it so well. Because he's got that I have to talk about my son vibe, but dear God, this is slightly embarrassing. Well, it it also doesn't hurt the fact, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but um, it, it also doesn't. Uh, it it kind of helps the fact that any time when his heat developing, when his heat vision starts developing, uh, it's at times he's looking at and thinking about Lana. Yeah. So <laughs> it it is very very much compared to puberty. So, but it's funny in that way, and I can tell you right now, again, going back to my love for Jonathan Schneider and Ned O'Toole, it was something growing up with Superman I knew was bound to happen at one point in the show, um, but the death of Jonathan Kent, man, I bawled my eyes out watching that episode. I'm and not going to was... say when it happens, because if, Rob, if you decide to continue watching it, I don't want to tell you exactly when and where it's going to happen, but you know that from the mythos, you know that it happens. Um, but I bawled my eyes out that episode because not just because of the fact that it was a very emotional episode, but I just loved that character. I grew to love that character so much that I did not want to see him leave. So, uh, any other notes for Smallville before we move on to the final? No, but I just got to say, uh, I, I think this is, uh, something I'll probably get back to shortly after i wrap finish wrapping up gotham this may be my new little background show to check out i think it should be i think you should give it a shot um there's a lot of great nods to the superman mythos there's a lot of again there's a lot of um written specifically for the show villain of the day kind of characters um but there's a lot of vill- a lot of people throughout superman mythos that we know and love who pop up from time to time uh blue beetle booster gold who we've talked about we know is already in there Justice Society of America is another storyline that shows up at one time. Um, so, yeah, I think you should. I think you'd actually really enjoy it. I love the show. I will also say this is the time. This is a time period, and this sort of will 
play into Birds of Prey, where DC seemed they didn't want to do costumes. They wanted to do down-to-earth takes on superheroes. Well, I think that even shows, because if you think about back then, too, like, not many years after these shows launched, we got, like, the first X-Men movie, and everybody was so afraid to use, you know, the costumes of these characters that we all know so well that are so iconic. It's just everybody was like, well, we got to do this property right, but if we put them in this, it's going to look cheesy. Right. Everybody's so terrified of it, and you didn't see that for a long time. Um, And you can kind of see the start to see a transition throughout Smallville because eventually you do get the Justice Society in costume. You get Booster Gold in costume. You start seeing the shift to a more costumed hero. And it's just a very interesting um, viewing because you can start to see the attitude towards the towards the corniness or the um unbelievability start to change yeah i mean that's one thing i do remember of like walking in on people watching this show and be like oh green arrow that's kind of cool and oh you know i remember near the end they had somebody like cyborg in there and aquaman who made an appearance and you know it's kind of neat that there was some existence for this stuff and it kind of transitioned from no costumes to by the time that the show was just like, no, costumes are okay. Okay, that means we have to end the show because we got to put Superman in in his suit, you know? Yeah. But I think it was a nice, it seems like it's a nice build up to it. And that's why one of the reasons I really am curious to check the show out in its entirety. Can I, um, can I tell you just a quick funny anecdote? Since sure. you mentioned Green Arrow. Um, we interviewed, one of the first people we ever interviewed on the show cast for any of the DC shows was James Bamford, who is the, the stunt coordinator for, uh, for Arrow right now. Um, and in that interview, we were talking to him and I, you know, I mentioned how I loved Smallville and I used to watch Smallville and I mentioned off the collar that this current version of, while I loved, um, Justin Hartley, who played Oliver Queen in Smallville, uh, this version of Arrow with Stephen Amell makes Justin Hartley's version of Oliver Queen look very comic bookish and like a pansy. And I said it in a joking matter. And then James Benford turned around and he said to me, he's like, oh, he's like, that's, he's like, that's a cool, that's a cool opinion. And he was doing it to be a complete smartass and kind of make me feel stupid because, um, because he told me, he then proceeded to tell me that he actually played that version of Green Arrow in the Smallville series when he was still doing stunt coordinating. So it wasn't Justin Hartley, it was him. <laughs> so I basically had just called James Benford a pansy, um, Without Ooh, knowing it, and that's pretty funny though. But I mean, he he knew I was joking. He knew I was saying it to be humorous, so he was kind of messing with me a little bit. He didn't take offense to it at all because he actually agreed with me um, that you know the versions of Arrow from Smallville to now is night and day. It's much more grittier and and intense. So, though it is interesting that they are both takes on Batman. The 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 Green Arrow, you mean? Yeah, the, I mean they both are influenced largely by Batman. Which I think is interesting, just different aspects of it. True. I mean, and that was one character Smallville never saw, unfortunately, was Batman. Uh, There was always rumors, but it it just never came to fruition on the show. So, uh, but again, a ton of characters that we did see, you know, from Jimmy Olsen to Perry White and just a bunch of characters, Jor-El, Zod. There's so many characters from Superman Mythos that pop up throughout Smallville. So it's definitely worth going back and watching or rewatching if you've never seen it before. 
Uh, but that leads us to the final show of the three that we we're talking about. Uh, TJ, I know you gave this one a hero. Rob, I think you gave this one a hero as well. Uh, and I gave this one a big old sidekick. We okay, talking... so you're starting this off. <laughs> we are talking about Birds of Prey, which again debuted after the pilot of Smallville ran for how many seasons did Birds of Prey run for? Uh, Thirteen episodes. Okay, yes. so not even a full first season. Yep. Um, and in my opinion, rightfully so. The time that you didn't get back from the Flash, I wish I could have got back from this. I really did. I was excited at first. Um, when I first saw um, Batgirl in the suit, I was like, all right, we might actually get to see Batgirl. <clears throat> and then it goes into the moment from Killing Joke when Joker, shoot, Joker shoots her and she becomes Oracle in the wheelchair. I actually enjoyed Dina Meyer. I like her uh, as an actress. I've seen her in a bunch of stuff. Um, I think the version of Joker that we saw <clears throat> looked horrible and cheesy. The only thing that saved it was the fact that it was the voice of Mark Hamill. Correct. That but was... granted, though, too, that is the only time you see Joker is yeah. that bit. And then every episode that goes on from that, they kind of do a truncated version of that where you you only see kind of like a uh, a fuzzy shot of him. So it looks, when you see it in the normal opening, has a little bit more of menace to it. The pilot, not as much. Okay. Um, I like the fact when it first started that it was narrated by Alfred. Yes. I don't know if that continues through the rest of the show. Uh, I well, the opening is always um, narrated by Alfred, and but actually, he... and Ian Abercrombie, I believe, is the actor that plays Alfred in the show. Yes, yeah. Um, he actually is a constant in the series, um, and it's he's actually wonderful to see in every episode. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get to that <laughs> <laughs> to see him uh, actually show. Well, you do see him in the pilot; he does show up. Uh, at one point when he shows up in Watchtower. I did enjoy that Watchtower was a part of this. Um, oh, the, clock, oh, the Clock Tower? The Clock Tower, yeah. Well, that technically is Watchtower, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's I, I what think it is they recycle the set. Okay. Well, it's certainly not the Watchtower from Smallville. Um, <laughs> because the Watchtower in Smallville is amazing. Um, and actually, I think Birds of Prey actually might have came and went before Watchtower was even introduced in, in Smallville, because Watchtower doesn't come until the second half of, of Smallville. Yeah. Um, I like Shamar more. I, I, was, I was very happy to see an actor, uh, an, another actor that I knew from other projects show up in the show. Um, and I'm assuming with the role that he played in the pilot, he goes through all episodes. I'm actually seeing it was 14 episodes, not 13. Oh, okay. Um, I couldn't stand Ashley Scott as Helena Kyle. I really couldn't. She got on my nerves. I think it was over the top uh, acting by far. <clears throat> and maybe I'm just not familiar with the character enough, but when was Dinah Lance a mystic? Uh, never. Exactly. Yeah. Like there, I, If memory serves correctly, because it's been a long time since I've, I've watched a show, um, there is a much later episode where her mother actually is the one that's Black Canary. So um, it's it's a little fuzzy because it's been a very long time since I watched this in its entirety. Um, this is uh, one of those things when TJ brought it up, I'm like, oh, this is going to be cake for me. I don't even have to look for it. I own all of this on DVD. So I had to look for this, okay? And I couldn't find it online, on Netflix, on Hulu. And finally, out of desperation, I looked on Amazon Prime. You the know it's on CWC, right? Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, that's how I watched it. The whole okay. the whole series is on CWC. 
Okay, yeah. The only episode that was <clears throat> free on Amazon Prime was the pilot. The rest of the season you had to spend two bucks an episode for. I will not be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and Rob, when you told me that you owned them on DVD, I was like, after I watched the pilot, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, actually, there's a good reason to own it on DVD. Uh, there is a supplemental feature on that DVD set that is worth the price of that, ser- uh, that set alone. There was a web series that came, uh, that was out around the same time. I mean, very like more like Flash animation-y, but it's called Gotham Girls. Oh, and yeah. It is Poison Ivy and Catwoman and Batgirl. And uh, I want to say there's another another face in there, but it's a continuation of the uh, Batman the Animated Series. It's all the same voice actors and, uh, and actresses, just same. in a drastically lower budget version of the show, but it's okay. the same animation style. It's, it's imagine it done in Flash, but they're all these little microsodes. I forget how many there are, but that entirety is all on there. And uh, it's just fun to watch where you're like, you want to see, seem like you're watching a lost episode of Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> um, it's, quite, I, it's a lot of fun. I could tell you the other thing, and then I'll, I'll leave you guys to, to talk about why you gave it Heroes. But the other thing that really bugged me about this um, series was very. it was obviously a CW show. So they were going to try and get the same kind of feel that Smallville had with the success of Smallville. Um you know, so they were going to go for the, the, you know, the teenage angst and everything that they were going through. So you go through this entire episode and it's very dark and it's very gritty and they're doing the superhero fighting and everything like that. And then in the last scene, when it's uh, Helena and Barbara on the balcony, it goes into this poppy teenage music for, into the credits. <laughs> I'm like, why did you throw that in there? Like that didn't fit at all. It's just be, it's it, it almost seemed like. You did it just so you could throw one of those songs onto the soundtrack. Pretty it, much. It didn't fit into that show at <laughs> all. Why did you do it? That, <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I was already not liking the show. Thank you for that final nail. Because <laughs> now I'm convinced I'm not going to continue watching this show. Fair. So. I, no, like I said, there, there's definitely some there, there's some cheese in it. But it's I think it, when I watched it, there's the equal amount of cheese that I saw watching Smallville. Um, you know, obviously one of the other things that sticks out in this show, like a sore thumb is the overuse of CG for Gotham, new Gotham. Sorry. I, I was wondering about that. Do you think they thought it was cheaper to do CG than it was to do like practical, like practical sets or get flybys of different areas? I, I that- think so. I think the biggest thing is they're looking at is Gotham supposed to be this iconic city and like, Everything else is going to be like, hey, that's you know Chicago, that's yeah. New York. When you do these big, you know, sprawling landscapes, you know, I I think it's one of those things that was a poor choice because you go back and watch it now. I mean, when you're like back when it originally aired, you don't question that, and I'm like, yeah, it looks fine, whatever. You're watching it on a standard definition television set from back in the day, and you know, you watch that on DVD or if you ha- if there's you know, HD versions of the show available, I'm sure looking at that is even drastically more worse now. Yeah. But I, I mean, honestly, it's one of those things that I think they just did it for production value pilots. You never know what they're going to spend in anything. But uh, one of the other things I don't know if you guys noticed, though, too, was uh, when they showed Arkham Asylum. Uh, definitely. We got we saw some reused footage from the Schumacher films. Yes, that definitely. was definitely the Arkham Asylum sign that you saw in, um, you know, uh, Batman Forever or Batman and Robin, that is the exact same sign. It wasn't those big sprawling iron gates that we see on things like Gotham or in the films, but 
yeah, that's that very uh, reused footage that I'm sure that they kind of tacked in here and there. Yeah, and the the Batman suit was from the um was from the movies too. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, you could even see that with a Catwoman suit. That was yeah. very much the Michelle Pfeiffer style suit, um, slightly altered, not by much though. I mean, they're all the suits genuinely actually looked fairly good. Um, but again, it was because they just popped somebody in uh, costume like from the costume department. And it was like, who can fit into this suit that we have laying around? Yeah. yeah. And it worked. And it's nice to see that they did some of that stuff. I mean, I do agree with Ben when you see Joker normally looks a little off. But when you see him kind of from the distance or kind of off, it, it doesn't look bad. I, the, I think uh, another reason why they probably did that with the suits, too, is that's a huge budget cut. Oh, yeah. You know, that saves them a ton of money when they reuse stock footage and, and costumes like that. So I can understand why they did it. Um, the other thing um, I noticed and, and this is going back to the we don't want to do costumes is Helena just walks around without a mask. You know, it's like, thank God nobody apparently goes to the bar she works in because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that cop was going to recognize her if he sees her on the street anytime in the near future. <laughs> um, well, I mean, don't forget, we're also living in a world where people don't recognize Clark Kent as Superman when he puts on glasses. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a very stupid world. <laughs> um, but I liked... Okay, so the execution of this show was not was not good. Okay? But there were a lot, a lot of good ideas here. Oracle, I liked the idea of the Huntress. The, the woman playing the Huntress was really bad. Um... And I think there could have been, like, a slight role reversal. Like, if they had put Black Canary and Barbara as the older heroes training a new Huntress, I think that could have gone really well. Yeah, yeah, I think that would have been a wiser decision. I mean, like I said, good good ideas, not the best execution. The other thing is they turned Batman into deadbeat dad. Yeah, which is kind of weird. Yeah, especially given that at the end... And Ben, I'm going to spoil something in case you ever want to go and finish yeah, watching you're this. safe. Okay. <laughs> At the end of the series, Alfred is on the phone, and he says, Yes, Mr. Bruce, you would be very proud of your girls. So Bruce is out there. He's still alive, well, and I... he's just not there. Well, that was revealed in the pilot, that he's still alive. They just said he left. They just said oh, okay. he left Gotham. Okay, I'm, yeah, so he's just gone. He's just, he doesn't want to have anything to do with uh, to do with them. He's not looking in on Helena at all. It's like, why are you leaving her with Barbara and not taking her with you? My other my other thing I thought of too is, and obviously this is something that we didn't really get until recently with the Killing Joke animated film. Um, I thought it would be an interesting twist if it turned out that Barbara was really Helena's mother. And not yeah. Selena, but obviously that wouldn't have been the case because we didn't know about the whole sexual relationship the two of them had until Killing Joke. So that was never anything that was really addressed, I don't think. Yeah. Until uh, recently, so that wouldn't have been something that was possible. Uh, but I agree. I think the show had a lot of potential, and it just wasn't it wasn't utilized. The other thing I'd like, uh, I was kind of weirded out when Barbara and Huntress started arguing over whether Barbara was likely to commit suicide. 
Yeah, that was interesting too. That uh, was a weird conversation. I'm like, why? Why did the writers think this was the conversation they should be having right here? Yeah, and it was while she was trying to find food in their place. You know, right. like it's like timing's a little odd. You know, on a, quite a few things in the show. But I mean, I still got to say it. It's nice to see, actually, like I said, uh, that, that version of Oracle we see in the show was fantastic to see. Yeah. Um, like, it was it was well executed. That was one of the things I think it was just executing incredibly well. Um, the whole I Watchtower also, and Oracle stuff was great. I also like the idea of a cult around the Joker. I um, They kind of touch on it here, um, but I, I thought that was an interesting idea. Like there, you know, there's a group of people who think Joker was right, and I thought that was a very, very interesting idea. Um, I I like the idea too that we also met Harley. Technically, yes, yes. This is the first. And it's funny because a lot of us forget about this, and I actually forgot about it as well because Birds of Prey is kind of in the corner of my brain somewhere underneath like boxes of other things, but um. Yeah, this is our first time we ever see a live-action version of Harley Quinn. Um, everybody kind of thinks it would Suicide Squad, but nope. She is the big bad of this entire show. So, Which is, I think, something that's kind of interesting. Um, and oddly enough, too, played by somebody a lot of us know, uh, Mia Sarah, yeah. who everybody remembers from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, she was also Lily in Legend. Uh, she hasn't done much since this, actually. She's kind of disappeared. Um, also, did you notice the other uh, famous person in the pilot? Uh, who? Aaron Paul. Yes, he's on the yeah, bus. Yeah, that's right. Yes, he's he on the is. bus, and it was like, whoa! Yep. I did. I forgot. I completely forgot about that, and apparently he did two episodes of the show. He's in another episode later on. So the 14 episodes you're looking at is the... There were two pilots. There was one unaired pilot, and then there was the pilot they showed. Um, and that pilot that they showed was just a recutting of the original pilot. And actually, because and the only reason I know this is because my wife Erin brought it up to me. Um, so they only aired thirteen episodes, but now I wonder what that pilot looked like and if it was any better than the pilot we got. Uh, you know what? It might be on that DVD set. It's very possible. You'll have to look because I'd be very interested. Actually, you know what? Why don't you guys vamp for a half a second? I have it like 15 feet from me, but I'm tethered to my computer. <laughs> hold on, one hold second. One second. Well, I was going to say, apparently, um, Mia Farrow... They recast, I'm sorry. They recast Harley Quinn for yeah, the... Um... I was just getting ready to say that. Oh, okay. it, was, um, it was played by somebody different in the original... Um, in the unaired pilot, it was played by Sherilyn Fenn. So I didn't realize that's who that was playing Harley Quinn. I'm not going to lie. I didn't, I had no idea that was Mia Sarah. She I, looks I very different. Yeah. I didn't recognize her at all. The, uh, <clears throat> she, and, and I enjoyed her as her, like, I liked most of the cat. Like I liked Barbara Gordon. I liked Harley Quinn. So I thought she was a weird therapist. <laughs> yeah. Just a uh, bit. People are intrinsically, uh, you know, mean-spirited and selfish. What? Um, <laughs> That's just... I'm looking at some of the, like, the cast and such. I do see that um, it looks like 
Oh, AJ McCalla played young Dinah in an episode? Wow. I know her from the Goldbergs. Um, it looks like at some point they might have brought in Clayface. They did. He was uh, one of the last episodes. Um, and actually, I can confirm, yes, the unaired pilot is one of the features on the set. Oh. It's still not enough. It's still <laughs> not enough to get me to go back and watch it. It's and then really the Gotham not. Girls at series was actually 30 episodes. So, so I mean, like I said, the show, I think, had a lot of potential. It was just underutilized. I like the idea. Like, I would love to see Oracle show up in one of these iterations of these shows at some point. Um, and we kind of got a small taste of it when um, Felicity was in a wheelchair, but she wasn't Oracle. She was um, Overwatch. Overwatch. That's yeah. What it was. Um, well, Oracle was taken. Yeah, Oracle was. I was going to say Oracle, but it was taken. Um, so I want to see Oracle show up. I, I think Oracle is a great character, but it just—I don't know. It, it just—I uh, mean, and we've seen Huntress come back because we've seen Huntress in the current iteration of Arrow. Well, there was a rumor for a little while uh, over the summer that Oracle and Batwoman were going to come to Supergirl, uh, but the uh, but the showrunner Greg. Uh, yeah, uh, basically said, no, that, that's not a true rumor. Greg Berlanti, not... Berlanti. I, I was combining the two. Um, Mark Guggenheim, Greg Berlanti. Um, yeah, um, they've actually come out and said that no Batman characters will be appearing on any of these shows. Which is, which is a shame, because I think like a Batwoman-Oracle uh, combination would be a great addition to Supergirl. I do, too. I think it would be cool to see. I think it would be cool to see for a short period of time. Um, you don't want too many characters that are going to take away some of the focus from Supergirl herself. I think that's one of that's the issues true. we've been having with Arrow is that we've seen a lot of characters come in and they've kind of taken away the focus. They've kind of put the focus more on those characters and less on Oliver, and that's been a big point of contention when it comes to when it comes to Arrow. So if you bring a Batgirl character, and again we're getting off the topic, but I think we're ready to pretty pretty much wrap up this anyway. Um, yeah, you bring in Batgirl, Oracle into Supergirl. And you put the focus on them for too long. Now you're kind of taking away the focus from Supergirl. So I would like to see them if they did a two or three episode arc. But other than that, I wouldn't see them. I wouldn't. I don't think we would need an extended run from those characters. I would like. I would like to see them just bring in Oracle because I think that would work well with the with Supergirl. Like if she had an information source. Um. Well, she does. She works. Yeah. With the, uh, what is it? The, the DOA? DEO, DEO, no, DEO. not the DOA. DEO. I hate that acronym so I know, much. I too. I'm like, DOD, uh, no, no, god damn it. And I'm like, DEA? And I'm like, yeah. oh, god damn it. No, DEA, that's Drug Enforcement Agency. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, the um, Department of Extraordinary Operations, I think it's, I think it is. Yeah, whatever. Now I gotta look it up. Yeah, whatever it, it is. <laughs> bad, bad acronym insert here. It starts yeah. with a D. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like even Oracle, those two characters never had any interaction in the comic books, did they? Uh, actually, uh, before Crisis on Infinite Earths, Barbara Gordon and Supergirl were best friends. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. It was actually uh, one of the things you even got to see it every once in a while. Um, they, I want to say if it was in Justice League or Batman the Animated Series, there was definitely some Supergirl episodes with Batgirl. It was just the two of them taking down things like Harley and Poison Ivy and Catwoman and stuff like that. I mean, they did a whole comic book series called uh, Gotham Girls as well. 
um, where that was pr- pretty much the sole focus of the book was those characters, which was a lot of fun, actually. Um, I mean, the one thing, too, about this show is, that I think before we completely move out of it is, can anybody explain to me why when Catwoman and Batman have a kid, the kid is a metahuman? Because that confused the crap out of me still going is she, back though? to this. Yes. Her eyes changed and did weird things, and she was, like, leaping across buildings, like, animalistically. She kind of came across almost like a vixen more than she did Huntress. Yeah, that's well, a good point, because Batman and Selina, because Bruce and Selina are human. Right. So, uh, well, if you're going with it, and now I'm going to really sh- show my nerd colors, there was a um, comic that showed that the reason Catwoman was so lucky was because the outfit she wore gave her nine lives. Now I want to so, watch this show even less. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the dumbest things I have ever heard. Well, no, no, it gets dumber because she stole it from Catman. Nice. That's kind of amusing. <laughs> I actually need to go find that now. I'm curious. I, I love Catman, dude. He is oh, so, no, no. so no, no. Rob, this isn't the good Catman. Oh, no. This is fine. like 1960s Catman. Yeah, I'm out. Peace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Secret Six Catman, totally. Uh, the old one, uh-uh. No, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, um, no, this is this is, this is is bad Catman. Yeah, yeah. You, you're not helping causes because I... No, well, that has no, that has nothing to do with this show. This is this is this is us now geeking about old old characters, old comic books. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, like I, I still stand by my hero I get for this show. It was this very much felt like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, kind of style show as well, like Smallville. It's just done in a different way. It's, it's nothing of these caliber shows is ever going to be something like the Josh Josh Whedon stuff or. Uh, you know what the stuff we see today, but I think at the time it was a it was a fun show, um, and there was a lot of cool nods for somebody that loves people like Harley Quinn and Joker. I'm like, hey, they're doing these characters on TV. They're not exactly my version, what I want to see, but hey, they're at least still trying. So yeah. I think there was that was what was kind of worked for me. And it's again a villain of the week show. Um, it's not great, but it's also not Flash, which is good enough for me because I. I as much as I tried and wanted to love that show, man, that Flash show was a little much. But and I could definitely see myself going back and watching more Birds in Smallville. See, I'm I'm of the opposite. Smallville, I would absolutely, I would go back and rewatch Smallville again, and I might even now after watching the pilot. Um, I, I would much rather watch the original '90s Flash than Birds of Prey. Um, and you know, I was thinking about this too. I think as a nice little just fun project. I want to see somebody take one of these properties that we're seeing now, like Arrow or Gotham, or that we can't do Flash because it's already been done. I, I want to see somebody take like Legends or Arrow or just one of these DC properties and purposely make it a cheesy 80s style show or a, purposely make it a cheesy 90s style show, even if it's just a pilot, just for fun. Like design a horrible costume. Um, you know, and, and just with bad acting, you could find plenty of people that could do that naturally. Um, and just just for the hell of it, just make a cheesy 90s style pilot for one of these current shows and just see what it would be like and, and, and see what kind of popularity it would get. Yeah, it would be interesting. Yeah. Kind of this D makes of the current slate. But exactly. Yeah. So 
Because and let's face it, the shows that we're watching now, especially The Flash, have set the bar so high. Yeah. Um, that without the introduction of new technology, um, in which the actor will actually run 400 miles an hour, uh, <laughs> I don't think we're going to see much better than what we're seeing now. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Same here. So, uh, cool. So that is our breakdown of those three shows. Um, Teach, that was a good idea. I actually liked doing that. And Rob, I'm glad you <laughs> threw in the extra ones in there as hey, well. I had this. This just means we've got you know uh, the George Reeves Superman to do next. We could do the many faces of Superman on TV. We could do George Reeves. We could do the Superboy show, Lois and Clark. You know, so we've got a lot more that we didn't think about because a lot of us forget about these old old shows and old properties. Yeah. So. So so expect sometime in the future, maybe over the break, uh, the winter break, or into next summer when we're into the next summer break. Uh, we'll be doing Golden Age and maybe a Silver Age Part 2. And there's still a lot out there, man, that we, we forget about until, like you said, we started watching these. And then we just start to remember all these other shows uh, that we could have done. But next week, man, next week we, we start the lead-in into... Uh, Business as usual, which I'm stoked for, man. I can't wait. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for these for these premieres. I am too, and like I, you know, I'm getting closer and closer to being finished with Gotham. Uh, I, me and my wife picked it back up this week, uh, and I was telling Ben just where I'm at, and really, really enjoying the show. I mean, it's such a different take on things, but it's still very fun. It's actually a lot more fun than I gave it a lot of credit for. Yeah, season two um, is night and day is shades better than season one. Uh, but next week we're going into our Gotham season one annual since we are adding Gotham to the mix uh, starting this season. We're going to go back and recap season one next week. Uh, just similar to the way we did Flash and Legends, all of our annuals for them. The following week we're going to do Gotham season two, which is probably going to be a lot better because, again, the season increased greatly uh, in our enjoyment in that. The following week after that, so three weeks out, we're going to pretty much recap everything that we know that is coming to these uh, these shows uh, before they start. And then the following week after that, about a month from now, uh, we will be recapping season three, uh, season three, episode one of Gotham. And then for, I think, like two or three weeks, it'll be just Gotham until the rest of those shows start back up. And man, we're off to the races. Yeah, it's not far. It's not long. I think it's going to be a really fun ride. I'm actually knowing with also what's coming in Gotham next season. I'm very curious to see what they're going to do. I finally got to see Hugo Strange. Man, B.D. Wong is doing such an awesome job, but we'll get to talk about that in a couple weeks. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to this crop of seasons. And uh, I guess that means we should probably head it into the news. Yes. Uh, so, yep, DC News, and we will bring you some of the news that we've covered over this week. Uh, Rob, we'll start with you, because I know you usually have a majority of it, and I have a couple stories uh, as well. Well, I mean, it was a really quiet week this week. Um, you know, it's definitely not something like the TCA and San Diego Comic-Con, but there's a couple notable things here. Um, one of the things we did finally hear is a little bit more about this Flash movie. Um, I know a lot of people were wondering who the big bad was going to be. We saw some discussions in the past about them looking for somebody for reverse flash and captain cold. Uh, but it sounds like it's not just them. It sounds like the flash will be going up against his rogues. So we're not sure how many that means, but I would assume we're going to see probably at least four of the rogues. Um, no, for you guys, who would you want to see outside of, uh, snart and, um, uh, Thawne? I, I wouldn't mind seeing heat wave. 
show up in there as well. I mean, because that's one we're already familiar with when it comes to the show. But something tells me the producers, because of the fact that we've already seen those that form of the rogues, um, we may not see Heatwave in the film. Um, so I I don't know. Uh, Tej, I'll let you start because I um I'd want to see the the original rogues, uh, Weather Wizard, Captain Cold, Heatwave, Golden Glider. Mirror Master, Trickster, and the Top. Those were the rogues back in... Oh, and Captain Boomerang. Those were the rogues back in the day. And I think that would be... And while we've kind, while we've seen a majority of them or seeing a majority of them on the TV show, we haven't, we haven't gotten the rogues. You know, because these guys got together and formed a, a supervillain union. I don't, know that, if we're, I don't know if we're going to see Boomerang, though. Only because well, no, we probably won't see Boomerang. Well, it, makes a lot of, it makes a lot of sense for him to show up, though, because they already have the actor, they have a suit, they have, and he's already in this universe. Why not connect this a little bit more? Because we've already seen him captured, and we've already, we know that these storylines are going in a timeline sense. So Boomerang's already been captured by Flash, Flash and he's now part of, unless, I guess... Flash is going to be an origin story, I'm assuming, so it probably won't take place in the timeline, so we could see it. I really hope we don't get an origin story. I just want like I want them all to be introduced in Justice League and then just go, if you don't know who these people are, why are you here? Yeah, true. The Flash runs really fast. We don't you don't need anything more than that. That's true. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how that's going to to uh, pan out, but yeah, I mean, like I said, the fact that they're doing the rogues, I hope they do give us a nice little chunk of people. If they bring in Trickster into the film, I wouldn't mind. Now, granted, it's not going to be Mark Hamill that's playing the role, but I would like to see a fun nod to Mark Hamill, or at least have him have a cameo as another character. I would love to see that too. I think, that would, I think that'd really, be great. Really wonderful. Uh, so, next story is also sticking into the movie universe. We, it sounds like Justice League Dark is back on. We've been seeing this production start and stop multiple times. Guillermo del Toro has been attached to the project for a long time until recently, I think in the last year or so, he's broken away from it. But there is a full screenplay already completed for it, done by him. Um, and it sounds like they actually have found a director now, and this, this movie has been, you know, is getting fast-tracked to be back on. It looks like Doug Lehman will be the person directing that, and he is responsible for Edge of Tomorrow. He was actually also attached to be the director for the Gambit mo- uh, movie over at Fox starring Channing Tatum. So it sounds like that obviously is not the case anymore, and he is joining the fray for the DC slate. Now, is it called? Is it going to be called Justice League Dark? Because I've, I've seen it as by another name, too. I think um, it's being called Dark Universe. Yeah, that's what I, I think that's what I read, too. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's been back and forth. I think until they actually, like, give us a logo, I think, you know, we can still just call it either or won't matter much. I mean, this is just the D- the DC mystic side of things. So, you know, Zatanna, Swamp Thing, John Constantine. Um, I think when you see that animated movie in a couple months come and hit, that's going to be a good uh, a good idea of probably what to expect from that film. Yeah. Uh, so going uh, into the next story here, uh, in the show uh, show world, we have seen two new uh, promos now for Arrow and Flash, just kind of giving us a quick, like, 10, 15-second glimpse. But in the Flash one, very notably, you do see a hooded character in a lab, which more than likely is Dr. Alchemy. Um, so I'm very, very curious to see what's going on with that. Um, I'm sure we'll start seeing some more stuff 
in about a week or two when they're kind of gearing up for the launch of episode one. But there was a little bit of a flashpoint footage in there. We saw more of a businessman Cisco. And then as far as the era one, we did see it with like Mayor Oliver Queen unveiling the statue of Black Canary to the city. Um, and, you know, all hell breaking loose as usual, as usual. But also we did see Chad Coleman for the first time as this uh, season's big bad in that promo as well. Uh, moving on to Legends of Tomorrow Season 2, Mark Guggenheim did come out and uh, speak a little bit more this week about the show, uh, especially about the size of the cast and what they're planning on doing with things. So the JSA, the Legends, and the Legion of Doom apparently will not all appear in full in one episode together because of the size of the cast. I mean, you're talking now about roughly close to 20 members on screen, and I can't imagine how you could balance something like that in 45 minutes. So... I think it's a wise decision, but I I think at the same time, though, I think a couple of us are a little disappointed. I know Ben was kind of bummed on that one. Yeah, it's a boo. So, but it's okay. All good, um, because uh, we did get a little bit more information now, too. So we reported, I believe it was a week or two ago, that Todd uh, Lassance was playing Savitar on The Flash. Apparently, that is not the case. And the character we did see on that one original promo was also not Savitar. That was, in fact, the rival, which I believe we brought up back then as a possibility before the character was unveiled on who that was. Yeah. So the rival being the Jake Garrick's mm-hmm. classic nemesis. So uh, kind of Sav- curious to see. Yeah, Savitar is still a character in the show, but they have he, it has not been cast yet, so we haven't seen any kind of promos for Savitar as of yet. Right, and I have a feeling we're going to see more traditional look for Savitar as well because uh, that costume, I was like, that doesn't seem quite right. And uh, I'm very happy to say that that is not the case. So, so I really hope we don't actually get uh, the comic book version of Savitar's costume. I hope. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> it's a lot of hair. A, yes, a, a lot, lot of body hair and oily skin <laughs> and uh, lots of lots of bare chest. Well, actually, it's CW, so yeah, we're going to see bare chest a lot probably with Savitar. So, <laughs> so um, now heading over to Gotham real quick as well. It looks like we got the first look at the proto Solomon Grundy on the show. Uh, it looked like very much kind of the best way I can put it is powder in a in a white suit. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, or kind of one of the twins from the the Matrix uh, sequel that's just kind of gotten a little clean cut uh, over some years. But you can definitely see it's a very early look kind of uh, as Solomon Grundy, even though it has not been fully cast yet or um, stated that that's who that is being cast as. Uh, also in Gotham, uh, we're seeing um, actress. I'm going to try not to butcher this. Uh, Neon Gonzalez Norvind uh, is going to be playing the Mad Hatter's sister, Alice. So she will be joining the cast for season three. And the last piece of news I have for this week is the new trailer for Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders, which indeed confirms our thoughts last week that this is kind of a continuation of the 1966 movie. So we did see Joker, Riddler, Penguin, and of course, Julie Newmar is playing Catwoman. Yes. Uh, And it looks awesome. I can't wait it for looks this. So good. Um and I guess continuing on with the news too, I guess I can also announce that um the world premiere of that film will be at New York Comic Con this year. So a lot of con goers will have the opportunity to see that movie in its entirety uh while you're attending the convention, which is really cool. Uh so when you see that when you see that panel opening up, if you're going to New York Comic Con and you want to see that movie, uh my advice to you, because this is something we had to do a couple years back at San Diego at uh, New York Comic Con, go to two panels before it, sit in on those panels, and just wait it out. And as those panels empty out in between, gradually work your way back up to the front. Because that is how we got front row for the Constantine premiere. 
we had to sit through three panels before it in order <laughs> to get there. But it was totally worth it because our friend Chris Mannix was dressed uh, as Matt Ryan, as Constantine, and got Matt Ryan's attention, which was really cool. So, uh, But a couple other news stories that I have as well continue on with Gotham. Uh, Gotham producers have confirmed that Jerome's laugh was heard in the season two finale. <coughs> Excuse me. So, I mean, we already know that the Joker is going to be returning. It's it's loosely that Jerome is the Joker. And I, if you see the character and you watch Gotham, he's pretty much the Joker. Um, uh, but it's revealed that, um, that you, we know. I, see, I don't want to say much because you're not completely caught up with the show yet. Uh, but I will just say that um, they have been quoted as saying the laugh was really to keep the Joker alive, to keep Jerome and that threat of the Joker alive. Uh, we wanted to make sure fans don't feel that we're completely done with the mythology of the Joker because we are 100% absolutely not. Uh, but it's not something we will dive into right away at the top of the season. Uh, next up, a monolith movie is in the works. Um and I have no idea who that is. So uh, Justin Gray in Jimmy Palamani's DC series, The Monolith, is on its way to the big screen. It's going to be developed by Lionsgate uh, and features Dave Wilson at the helm. Um, I don't know who Dave Wilson is either. Uh, but the project itself, Monolith, is a story about a powerful golem created during the Great Depression in the 1930s. Uh, the creature was made to protect New York from the dark underworld that threatened its citizens. But at some point, the golem was sealed away. Uh, an ex-junkie named Alice Cohen finds a diary in her grandmother's house and manages to release the golem to continue his protection of New York. And now Alice is responsible for keeping him in check. That's kind of that's got some potential. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that I heard it brought up before in the past, but I've never read it. Um, I would assume this was kind of a little micro series or just a graphic novel that's floating around out there. But teach, do you know much about that one? I'll be honest with you. Um I had to look this up when uh, Ben said something about it. I had no idea who this guy was, and when I saw the character design, I associated him with a different character who was a, apparently had, didn't have anything to do with this. So I have no idea who this guy is. So I mean, It sounds like it's not going to be anything that's probably going to be part of the DC universe with Suicide Squad and all them. I could be wrong. I mean, it could be... A complete one-off and I guess maybe still be part of it. I don't know. So it'll be interesting when that comes up, though. Uh, and lastly, the last story that I have is that DC Entertainment has announced an all-day live stream event. Uh, the DC All Access web series has passed 1 million subscribers on YouTube, and they are planning an all-day celebration to mark the occasion. Uh, DC Access will host its first all-day live stream event this coming Friday, September 2nd, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, East Coast, that's 12 p.m. noon to 8 p.m. Uh, the weekly web series hosted by Tiffany Smith and Jason Einman provides DC Entertainment fans with breaking news, celebrity interviews, and exclusive content covering DC comics, video games, and t uh, television, and more. So I'm, I'm probably, I'm assuming they might be saving some announcements and reveals for this event. I have a feeling if they're doing a 24-hour, or well, not 24-hour, but if they're doing a full live stream like this, more than likely there is going to be some, something big in here. Um, You're probably going to see some TV news, some video game news, uh, and some comic book news in this thing. Oh, yeah, it's going but, to cover all aspects, but something tells me, I'm thinking for podcast standings, uh, we're going to have a lot of news next week. Yeah, 
I think there's a high chance of it, yeah. I mean, or a lot of these things could just be teasers for what's to come for New York Comic Con. So uh, that's very possible that it's just a little bit of information. But I have a feeling we're going to see a lot about these TV shows. I think we could see some some trailers nailed for things like Supergirl and Legends, um, very specifically because we haven't seen much for either of them yet. Uh, The stuff that we did see from San Diego Comic-Con was maybe, what, 15, 20 seconds of footage from Legends because they just started production a day or two before that started off. Yeah, it's more of a kind of not even as much of a sizzle reel. It was a lot of uh, stuff from last season and a lo- like a lot of speaking about the current state of things. But that was about it. So, yeah, yeah I would expect we're going to see something cool next week. Yeah, I would expect so, too. So um, it also just means that from 12 o'clock until five o'clock at work on Friday, I'm not going to get anything done. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's all I have for news as well. So that's going to wrap up everything uh, for DC News for this week. Uh, before we get out of here, of course, we have to make our weekly recommendations. Uh, so we'll start with TJ on this one since you're our guest this week. Uh, what would you like to recommend to our listeners? Um, I'm going to rec- recommend uh, DC Rebirth in general and specifically Action Comics and Superman. Um, they've brought back the pre-Flashpoint Superman and given him a son. And it is the best Superman I've been reading in the last eight years. It is amazing. It's fantastic. Check this out. Does he at any point push a piano on a, a henchman on a boat? No, but it is. it deals very well with what it would be like for a... Like, his invulnerability turns on and off. Did anybody get that reference? Yes, I did. I chose to ignore it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do not acknowledge that movie. I like that movie. <laughs> I like that movie. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway. No, I'm... <laughs> Better than Birds of Prey. Well, yes, but... <laughs> Let's let's be honest. The only thing the show that kind of got away with anything this this week was Smallville, so we're okay. Yeah, okay, <laughs> and it all evens out. Yes. So. Uh, cool. Uh, Rob, how about you? Your recommendation for this week? Um, mine is I. You know, I couldn't think of the best thing, but because of what next week will bring, uh, my recommendation is for if you haven't given Gotham a shot, now is the time. Be ready next week. Gotham season one. It's on Netflix. It's not as bad as everybody says it is so really give it on a shot it, this honestly is very reminiscent of the pain that a lot of us felt when arrow started the first five six episodes are eh at best and then it, it we're off to the races and it's fun and but remember this is its own thing it's its own universe don't pick it apart because it's not exactly what you expect um let it be its own thing because it's fun it's actually a good time yes I agree with that completely. It, it's again, it's it's similar to the tone that Smallville was in that. Well, not tone wise, but um, in that it is its own thing. <clears throat> it's not going to go to continuity. Obviously, it's going to break away from the continuity and the mythos of the show. But we're still getting characters that we that we know. We're still getting characters that we're familiar with, and that's very similar to what Smallville was uh, when, at, at its time when Smallville was on. Yeah. So. And I, I will say, you know, we're a couple weeks out from the season two one, obviously, but. From just watching season two, they actually managed to do some of the villains, the classic villains, uh, s- some great justice. Um, the Mr. Freeze episodes, very specifically, uh, yes. they did beautifully. And it's actually touching in the way like the old uh, uh, Heart of Ice episode that even won Emmys from the animated series was. I mean, there's some really good things here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree. 
Uh, my recommendation for this week <clears throat> continues on. Actually, I'm going to make two, and my second one is going to lead into our cheap plugs. Um, we, uh, I actually, I've still been reading Rebirth, uh, and my recommendation comes from Rebirth as well. Uh, this past week, uh, Supergirl uh, Rebirth was launched, and man, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. It's probably, as of right now, it's only been the Rebirth, but it's probably one of the favorites that I've read so far behind, like, Red Hood and The Outlaws and um, and a couple. And Wonder Woman is really good at this at this time as well. Um, but, yeah, my, my recommendation, comic book recommendation is Supergirl Rebirth, which just came out. Uh, and my other one, which, as I mentioned, leads into our cheap plugs, Rob, you had mentioned Gotham, which we're going into the Gotham annuals over the next two weeks. Um it's a cheap plug over to the show cast, which we had an opportunity to interview two cast members from Gotham. The first being Aaron Richards, who plays Barbara Keene. Uh, she was a great interview. We got a lot of great um, information out of her, including a recipe for homemade chocolate, which um, we talked about with her, but we haven't gotten the recipe from her yet. We're still trying to get her back on, so she'll give it to us. Um, but the other one who has actually become a great friend of ours in the show, and we're actually we're working on having him come on to DC primetime in the future, is Drew Powell, uh, who plays uh, Butch Gilzean in the show. Uh, we've had him on the phone interview. We've interviewed him in person, and we're going to be interviewing him again, or at least talking to him and hanging out with him again uh, this coming October when he's <laughs> in the area in Oaks at uh, Walker Stalker Con in uh, Oaks, PA. So yeah. I'm actually looking forward to finally getting a chance to talk to him because I know you said some amazing things about the guy. And he's so cool. He's super down to earth. He's very friendly. And he knows like he is who he is now. He's as popular as he is now because of the show and because of the fans. And he's very humble to that, which I love hearing that about people like that. Um, and again, we had a great time with him. He's very funny, makes us laugh, very friendly, very engaging to his fans. So we're very happy that he's a friend of the show now. Uh, can't wait till he's back in town. Um, I, and I can't wait to introduce you to him. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, but interviews for that, um, for those can be found. The in-person interview can be found on the events page of uh, nextlevelradioonline.com. Just click on the events page and look for Heroes and Villains New York, New Jersey, which was back in May. And then our phone interview with him, which was before that, can be found on the interviews tab. And I think it was season two interviews that you can go to as well. Uh, but you can find the show cast as well as this podcast and every other podcast on the Next Level Podcast Network, nextlevelradioonline.com, at NXT Level Radio on Twitter, and facebook.com slash nextlevelradioonline. Uh, and you can email me, ben, at nextlevelradioonline.com. And I'm out of breath, so I'm done. No problem. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm Rob Martin. You can find me at caffeinecrew.com. You can always email email me directly as well at thecaffeinecrew at gmail.com. On Twitter, we're thecaffeinecrew. Facebook, just caffeinecrew. Pretty simple. Um, definitely get ready to check out to the next level of Caffeine Crew cast of pods, which will be going up at the end of this week. I usually, last couple days of every month is when the episodes go up. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, TJ was on this week, uh, this, this month's episode, which was a uh, very retro-themed and if you've heard the show before and checked it out, uh, very amusing. We we do a couple tastings, not like the jelly bean one we did a couple months back with Ben. We need to but, do it uh, again. We we will do it again. We will do it again. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, of course, through the course of this episode being retro themed, we had uh, Surge, um, Crystal Pepsi, and Ecto Cooler throughout the episode, which was uh, very amusing. And uh, some very twisted moments happened. So I will say that. But do not let your kids listen to this episode. It's uh, a little messed up. 
<laughs> there you go. And uh, also, as well, because we rushed it last week before we get to TJ's, big thanks, as always, to George Shaw at georgeshawmusic.com. Thank you so much for allowing us to use your wonderful songs in the beginning and the end of every show. Yes. <clears throat> uh, TJ, any plugs for you? Um, hopefully, by the end of today, my article will be up on Caffeine Crew. Uh, other than that, I, I really got nothing. <laughs> All right. Glad to have you on then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I thank you again too for the idea of those three shows, um, or at least hey, no doing problem. the one show, and then Rob, you kind of built, uh, toppled onto that, and I did nothing but watch. So uh, I, I don't know if we should be thanking anybody. I think we should all say a that, big, that I'm sorry. Uh, it's just a big, I'm sorry. So, and well, if you I mean, get, if you go out and listen to this, track down these episodes. They're they're out there in the ether. Um, it's a uh, it's an interesting ride. Yeah, I know, um, as I mentioned, Birds of Prey can be found on CW Seed. All 13 episodes are on there. Um, Smallville, I think, is on Netflix. Nope. Um, it's Nowhere. Not. It is not on Hulu, Netflix, or Amazon Prime. Uh, well, so if you want to watch it, well, just do some digging. I'm sure you can find I'm it. I'm sure you can find it, yeah. But if not, just rent, rent, rent it on Amazon. Uh, Amazon Instant Video. It's, I think it's $2 for the episode. And you can do the same thing with Flash. Yeah. So... Uh, but that is going to be it for this week. Again, next week, we go into our Gotham Annuals uh, for Season 1. So Gotham Annual 1. Gotham Annual Year 1 is what we'll call it. Um, so if you're a Gotham fan, be sure to check in to us next week for that. Uh, and then Gotham Year 2 Annual the following week after that. Uh, but I think that's going to be it. I'm glad you mentioned George Shaw because I was going to remind you this time. Yay! Uh, But that's going to be it for this issue of DC Primetime, issue 27. Until next week, we will see you guys around the bend. Thanks for listening. Peace. Adios.